Please stand as you're able for the scripture reading, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated this morning. Today we wrap up our coming and going sermon series, and it has been a ride. Over the past few weeks, I've noticed that many of you have been coming and going from here to there, place to place. You might have found yourself at the beach at the start of the week and found yourself at a lake later on in the week or in the mountains, perhaps. Uh, we come and go all throughout the summer, and over the past few weeks, we've been listening to Jesus' instructions to his disciples as he commissions them and sends them out to carry on his mission and ministry. That commissioning, though, isn't just for those 12, it's for us as well. And to be honest, these words from Matthew chapter 10, this commissioning has not only been inspiring but it's been challenging too, right? The words that we've had to deal with that Jesus has spoken have caused us to wrestle. We've had to wonder what it means to be sent out like sheep among wolves. We've had to wonder what it means to be given Jesus' power and authority. These are questions that all of us must wrestle with. I love it, though. It's amazing to think that if we are in Christ, that we have been given Jesus' power and Jesus' own authority and sent out like those disciples to continue his mission and ministry. Not only that, but, but we've been given knowledge that this task is going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. The cost of discipleship and carrying the gospel out into the world is high. I love that Jesus doesn't withhold any part of what we will face as we go about making disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. I love that. There's no secrets with Jesus. The story that we're looking at today happens just after that moment of commissioning. In fact, Matthew 11.1 1 opens this way. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there. He was going on from there 
to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. So Jesus is continuing to go from town to town in the region of Galilee. And as he's going about the area, he gets a message from his cousin and his friend, John the Baptist. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a message from your cousin? Right? Sometimes you wonder when you get a message from your cousin, don't you? I mean, you've, you've got cousins that when they send you a letter, you're like, ooh, I don't know. Right? Or an email in all caps. Right? Y'all seem to know what I'm talking about. They, Jesus is going about doing ministry when he gets a message from his cousin, John the Baptist. And, and you remember John the Baptist. He was out in the Judean wilderness calling people to repentance and to know that the kingdom of God is at hand. John had had an incredible ministry, but he was rejected because his way seemed too harsh to the people, especially to the religious elites and authorities. So John was rejected, and on the whim of a princess, he is thrown into prison, which is where he is currently at when he sends his disciples with a message for Jesus. And the message is really a question, and it's this. Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus, are you really the one who is to come, or are we supposed to wait for somebody else? Here I am in jail, in prison, awaiting execution, and what I need to know more than anything else, Jesus, is are you the one, or am I going to lose hope? And it's that question. That sets the stage for the story we're looking at this morning because Jesus answers the question for John. He says to John's disciples, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. What you hear and what you've seen as I've been coming and going. The blind receive sight, Jesus says. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is saying to tell John the Baptist that I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah and the prophets of the Old Testament. I am the Son of God and the Son of Man. I am Emmanuel, God with us. I am the one. John, you don't have to wait for anybody else. You don't have to wait any longer. It's a message of hope sent to a man in deep despair. Then as John's disciples are leaving to carry Jesus' message back to John, Jesus turns to the crowd and he begins to talk about John and about John's ministry, how John the Baptist had prepared the way for Jesus to come and teach and preach and to baptize, not with water like John had baptized with, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How there are none greater than John the Baptist who've been born in the world but that even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But you have to remember, as Jesus is saying all this, that John, again, has been made a spectacle by the religious elites. He's been mocked and imprisoned by the powerful. Though he came proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming repentance of sins, people refused to hear him. Perhaps, again, because his way was too hard, too harsh, 
Remember, John the Baptist was calling people to leave Jerusalem and to join him in the wilderness to fast and to pray, to repent for their sinfulness and to be baptized for the repentance of their sins. John criticized the religious and the powerful and reminded them all that they must repent. We must repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the crowd there must have looked stunned or confused or like they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So Jesus, a little bit frustrated, says to the crowd, to what can I compare this generation? To what can I compare all of you? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say here's a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus says this generation, they're like picky kids that you can't entertain. Parents, grandparents, it's the middle of summer. You've had a couple of days where you've been unable to entertain your kids, haven't you? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you go into their room or you go into the den and and no matter what you've tried, the kids just aren't having it. Let's go to the pool. It's too hot to go to the pool, right? You laugh because you know it's true. Okay, we're not going to go to the pool then. Let's stay in and watch a movie. All the movies are boring, right? You were just watching Hotel Transylvania 3. What are you, you serious? All the movies are boring. Okay, let's go ride our bikes around the neighborhood. I'm too tired. Okay then, let's take a nap. I'm not sleepy. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's an excuse For every single opportunity, every single thing that you might want to do, there's an excuse for why we can't possibly possibly do that. That's frustrating, isn't it? It's incredibly frustrating. All of those excuses are keeping our children and grandchildren from having an amazing time, from having fun, from having an incredible summer, from making memories. Because they've got an excuse for everything you suggest. Jesus is saying that the people have seen the way that John the Baptist was calling people to repentance. And they said, that's too hard. I don't want to live in a desert. I can't leave my home and fast and pray and allow God to change me from the inside out. That's too hard. It's too hot out there. So they reject John the Baptist. And they reject his message. Then Jesus comes on the scene performing miracles and healing and offering forgiveness and grace and salvation for free for everyone. And what do the people say? That's too easy. Jesus, you can't just go around forgiving everybody of their sins and welcoming everyone who would come to you. You can't just throw the doors of the kingdom of God open and welcome tax collectors and sinners. And you got, what, a zealot in your crowd right there? And that's Matthew over there. What about those fishermen that you hang out with? You can't possibly throw the doors of the kingdom of God so wide that they could get in. God doesn't work that way. It can't be that simple, Jesus. 
that's too easy. That grace is too free. That forgiveness is too complete. So they reject Jesus' message too. They hear the music playing, but they refuse to dance. They see the funeral procession, but they refuse to cry. Sort of like a middle school dance, right? You guys remember, remember middle school dances, don't you? The music plays, but nobody dances. Everybody stands on the walls. Jesus is saying, all too often, you stand on the wall more than you come to the middle and dance and enjoy grace and hope and life. You reject the invitation. And I wish we were different. I wish we were different, but that's what Jesus says we're like too. We're like children who won't dance when the music plays and who won't cry at the funeral procession. Jesus says our generation is a generation that loves to make excuses, that's quick to make excuses. And I know a bunch of you in your mind just said, I know that's right because Jonathan is a millennial and millennials love an excuse. Wait, did I? Our generation is a generation that's quick to make, I'm sorry, that's a typo. Can you fire that next slide? Your generation. <laughs> and my generation. Is a generation that's quick to make excuses. We're quick to make excuses for why we can't step out on the dance floor. Why we can't follow after Jesus. Why we can't take that next step of discipleship. So let Jesus offend us all this morning. Whether you're in the greatest generation, the silent generation, a boomer, a buster, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z, we're all great at making excuses for why we can't respond to Jesus. I've heard folks say things like, I've done my part, it's time for somebody else to step up. I'm tired. I've heard younger folks say, I'm busy, I got a career, I got a family. I got, you know, travel baseball and travel soccer and travel origami and travel underwater basket weaving and we travel. You know we travel? Got a lot going on in my life. So I can't step out. I can't dance when the music starts to play. I can't cry when it's time for us to cry with Jesus. I can't do it because I've got so much going on in my life. It's just a great big excuse, isn't it? But deeper than those surface-level excuses that keep us from taking our next step in Christ, deeper than those surface-level excuses is the reality that most of us don't really believe that we need God's grace. Deep down, most of us really believe that we're good enough, that we're nice enough, that we've done enough, that that ought to be enough to get us into the kingdom of heaven. It's not. It's not. Because there's only one name under heaven by which you may be saved, and it's not yours. It's the name of Jesus. So no matter what Jesus, no matter what Jesus does when he invites us so often we won't come because we're too busy pretending 
that we've got our lives together. I'm too busy pretending that I've got my life together, that I'm not a mess, that you aren't a mess, that we aren't messed up and that we aren't tired and weary and broken by life when the truth is we all are, aren't we? Yet we're full of excuses. We're just like those children who wouldn't dance and who wouldn't cry. And we make excuses for why we won't come to Jesus, not just for the first time, but every time he calls to us. Every time we need grace, every time we feel him prick our hearts or call us to action. All too often we have an excuse for why we can't. So what does Jesus do when he sees us for who we are and he sees our excuses, when he sees that we're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Jesus prays for us. Look at verse 25 with me. It says there, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. So Jesus breaks out into this prayer. And then he lifts his eyes back up and he looks at the crowd and he continues And I believe at this moment, Jesus has moved from a a sense of frustration about how the people have rejected John and how they're going to reject him. And he begins to have compassion on the crowd that is gathered there. And he says to them, all things have been committed to me by my Father. You need to know this. Jesus says, all things have been committed to him by his Father, God in heaven. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I believe that Jesus is saying to the crowds, to this generation, to your generation, to my generation, to you and to me, I see your excuses. I see your burdens. I see your brokenness. I see your pain. I see your heartache. I see the heavy loads that you are carrying, and I have the power and the authority to heal it all to change it all, to transform it all. Come to me, you who are harassed and you who are helpless, you who are lost and you who are hurting, you who are busy and who are broken. Drop the pretense. Stop pretending. Let go of your excuses because Jesus says what you will find in me is refuge. What you'll find in me is healing and wholeness and life that truly is life. And all you have to do is come. I love how Eugene Peterson captures this invitation that Jesus gives us in the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. He says, this is sort of the gist of what Jesus is saying. He says, are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me, Jesus says. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus invites us to lay our excuses down. All those burdens that would keep us from coming to him. He invites us to step out onto God's great dance floor, to hear the sound of the music, and to dance to the unforced rhythms of his grace. So my question for you this morning, my question for myself this morning, is what is keeping you from coming to Jesus? What's keeping you from responding to his invitation? What excuse have you concocted? What are you holding on to that you refuse to let go of so that you can come to him? Because friends, Jesus is here with his arms open wide, inviting us to come and experience his grace. It's free. To come and experience new life, it's free. To come and experience the kingdom of God, the power of God, it's free. All you have to do is respond. To say yes. To take that first step towards him. Or maybe that 501st step towards him. Because his invitation isn't just to those who are lost. But it's to we who are already in Christ as well. What excuses have we made? What things are we reluctant to let go of? So that we can respond to Jesus' invitation. My prayer for you this morning is that you might let go of the excuses, let go of the pretense, and respond to your Savior's invitation. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that in you is salvation and life. We thank you for going to the cross in our place and dying so that we might have salvation then rising to life that we might have eternal life in you. Lord God, today, for those of us who have not taken that first step toward knowing you, we pray, God, that you would give us the courage to take that first step, to say yes to your offer of salvation and eternal life, Lord, to respond to your call. For those of us, God, who have been on this journey of faith for years or, or maybe decades, God, we pray that today that we might hear your call once more. That we might respond and say, yes, God, I've put a lot of things between you and me. But today I'm laying them down so that you, you and I can draw more closely together. So that I can know not only your salvation 
so that you can become the Lord of every single part of my life. Lord, we thank you that you promise us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. That we don't have to pretend or have it all together. But instead, you invite us just as we are to know you and be made alive in you. Give us the courage to respond today. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.